0: Hey, everyone. It is Tinashe. We are back again with The Done Deal Show with my co-host here, Tonje. And today is an exciting day with one of our first official guests here, Avi Gandhi. Uh, Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So before we get started, like I said, I was really excited to get your interest to be on the show. So I'll do a quick bio of you and everything that we can really dig into your knowledge. So with Avi, he is a writer, advisor, and entrepreneur in the creator economy with 14 plus years experience as an agent, manager, producer, marketer, and executive at companies like WME, Wheelhouse, and Patreon. As a LinkedIn top voice and creator accelerator alum, he posts daily on LinkedIn about how creators and companies can succeed together. Avi's weekly newsletter, Creator Logic, which I have subscribed to, aims to help readers better that. understand, of course... <laughs> Creators, businesses, and thought processes through in-depth data, insights, and analysis from conversations with full-time creators. Through his consulting business, partner with creators, he advises billion-dollar companies like Discord, Radix, and Merit Circle on creator strategy across product, marketing, and partnerships. He enjoys pour-over coffee during the day and whiskey after hours, and he spends his free time exercising with his dog Livy and getting good. Did I say that? Getting good?
1: Yeah, well, it's, like a, it's like a gamer thing. It's like, get good, you know, like. Oh, I see. It's for get like it. specific, like from software games. They make like mm-hmm. Elden Ring and the Dark Souls games. If you know, you know, you know.
2: Clearly, we don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, but
1: somebody, somebody listening will guarantee that. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Well, welcome again to having you in the Done Deal Show. We're so excited as we, you know, dive in to the realm of talent managers, especially with the vast experience that you have. So to get started, A question I want to get your thoughts on when we look at, you know, young talent managers or experience that are looking to grow their business. The first question I have in mind is, you know, what KPIs should people be tracking in order to grow their talent management business?
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think I actually would take a step back from that question to say, like, what infrastructure do talent managers use or should they be using? It's kind of funny, you know, my background. As an agent and manager, I, I was an agent at WME. I was there for six years in the digital media space. I was an executive, but I started the talent management business at Wheelhouse, which is called um, Additive Creative Partners, and trained the talent management team there. And one of the funny things about entertainment, and this applies to the digital creator space as well, is that like, they're not very sophisticated with data, right? So like WME mm-hmm. is a great example. UTA, same problem. CA, same problem. So I'm not singling any one of the agencies out. Like these are companies that have literally 50, 60% of the entire deal flow for Hollywood every year, like going through their doors. They don't use Salesforce. They don't use HubSpot. They have no idea what their funnels look like. They don't even know what a funnel is, right? So like they're not tracking how many emails are we sending on behalf of this client and this client this client? How many people are responding affirmatively to this client, this client, this client? How many people are responding negatively? I mean, some of them are putting deal terms into like custom sort of CRMs that they have Mm -hmm. some person in a backroom build for them. But like, it's really just fancy spreadsheets. They don't have a dashboard where they can see the average fee for a female actress in a crime TV show. That lack of data, I think is absurd. Because if you look at any tech sales arm, they have all that. They've got a team that's Keeping track on Salesforce, a team that is doing data and analytics and strategy, operation strategy, and tying them, okay, based on we sent a, you know ten thousand emails last month. Uh, we had a response rate of twenty five percent for small medium businesses and of ten percent for large businesses, but the large businesses yielded a million dollar contract when they yielded a contract, and so you know overall we should send more large business emails because even though we're getting a lower response rate. We're making more money that way.
2: So, how do you explain this? Like, uh, are they just like ignorant?
1: I think it's partly ignorant. Hollywood has always moved slow. There's always kind of been the belief that like data doesn't work for entertainment. There's that sort of je ne sais quoi about like what makes something good, a bad taste. That's all true, right? Like, even Netflix had to eventually just hire Hollywood executives to do their development because like you can't moneyball creative. Past a certain point. But that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that you can moneyball deal flow, right? Mm. You can moneyball outreach. You can moneyball talent and signing talent and like the directions that talent is going. If you're tracking the inbound interest in deals in your client and you say, okay, well, this client got 10 emails from mobile game companies. They don't want to do any of those deals, but clearly mobile game companies think there's something there with this client. Let me talk to clients, see what kind of mobile game they like. Yeah. And then let me reach out and say, hey, these companies have reached out. We don't like them. This client likes your game. You want to work with us, right? That is a very simple, that's like not deep at all kind of way to do this, right? Mm-hmm. But you could get a lot deeper if you were tracking. And understanding, especially across a portfolio of clients, what are the deal terms that you're getting look like? What's the trend in mm-hmm. deal terms? Are more and more you know brands asking for the rights to use content in uh, in media? What are they paying for that? Uh, and is that increasing or decreasing over time? Right? It lets you build leverage. It lets you understand your trends in your business and be smart about it. I don't think most companies are tracking that. A lot of managers you know, will be able to say, I'm generally seeing this, but it's not based on data. It's kind of based on like, this is what I've been
0: hearing. Kind of going off that where, as you know, in talent management, a lot of them are managing marketing machines, right? Where a lot of this kind of inbound and a lot of uh, very re- reactionary. So I'm kind of curious of your thoughts of For other talent management, are there specific technology you would recommend? I know you talked about Salesforce or HubSpot earlier, but are there any key things you would say for any management they should be looking at investing into?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I would say probably Salesforce is too sophisticated, like something like HubSpot, right? You could get set up pretty easily. You can hire someone on Fiverr or Upwork for not a lot of money to set it up for you and set up a dashboard for you and you can be a bit more sophisticated. On that front, I know that there's tons of tools coming out that automate some of the grunt work around talent management, like you know, pitching and trying to having to copy paste the client's bio and find the one sheet and like figure out which stats matter, like that takes time. For example, like Whaler is building something that's like solves that. And I've heard and I think pretty sure uh, On scale. On scale, you guys do that? There you, <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. So like these are the types of tools that smart managers need is like at this point there is a perception out there from a lot of creators and frankly a lot of people on the business side as well that like managers don't really do anything they field inbound deals they babysit that's the kind of talking down uh when people think about uh managers. that's not true for the best managers the good managers are doing outbound outreach figuring out like what brands would make sense for their client based on their clients passions and actually reaching out when a brand comes to them they're helping the brand figure out who they should be working with rather than just like sending their list and saying here's who i got what do you want right like they're having creative conversations they're building relationships that can yield more business down the line and the best managers are working with their clients to make sure that their clients do what needs to be done to be successful
2: so deliver like on time
1: they deliver on time. They deliver results. It's not just about on time, right? Like, like, there's a bunch of different kinds of influencer marketing. There's the brand marketing where, you know, just delivering good content is what matters. But good is relative, right? So, like, a manager can be part of that conversation in terms of, like, what does the creative look like, you know, helping the brand understand why it's good, that kind of thing. But a lot of creator marketing or influencer marketing these days is actually now sort of Performance marketing, right? It's like, we need to get this many views because we have projected this many conversions and blah, blah, blah. Creators don't understand what funnels are. They don't want to. That's not their business, right? So like, it's the manager's job to talk to the brand and say, hey, what's your goal? Are you trying to sell this many socks? I'm just using socks like example, right? But like, how many widgets do you expect to sell from our creator? What does your model look like? Let me help you adjust that model let me work with the talent to make sure that they know what the expectations are and why you're mm-hmm. paying them this much, and they do everything they can to hit it, even if that means over-delivering. Because you know, one of the best managers, I know is this guy, Chaz Lackley at Bottle Rocket Management, he mm-hmm. loves to say, the best client is a repeat client. The best business is repeat business.
2: So it leads me to my next question for you. Um, what's the best way for a new talent manager in the game to engage with the brand? Because it's really competitive. And as you mentioned, you need to build like strong and long-term relationship with brands. So how to differentiate yourself from the competition and bring value to the brand over time? It's a great question. I think that new talent managers, the thing they need to understand is that nobody
1: cares about them. They care about the talent, right? And so the expectation you need to set with your talent is that they need to be willing to put in work to get going. And that might mean taking a meeting with the brand, right? Or it might mean even like getting on a call, right? Or whatever it is. And so as a young talent manager, you want to leverage your clients as much as possible to get in the room. And once you're in the room, you want to build the relationship. And relationships are built two ways. They're built by like schmoozing and hanging out and like human connection. Right. And they're also built by success in business. One of my strongest buyer relationships from my WME days was a guy who I would like take to dinner every time I was in town. And, you know, like we would hang out and, you know, I would visit him at the office, but also we'd go to like, whatever, if we're at a conference, some nice meal. But I also did a big deal with him that made him money. That was like 10 years ago, but even today, like I still text with him every couple of months. You know, he gets a new job somewhere. He hits me up for ideas, especially when it comes to creators. Like we have like a long term relationship. Whatever he's doing, if I had a client or a partner that aligned, I could send it to him over text at 9 30 at night and like it would be fine. Right. That's the kind of relationship you want to build, but that takes work. And the first thing you got to do is get in the room. And you're not going to do that just by reaching out and saying, I'm Avi, I'm managing creators, like, what's up? Like, you're going to have to say, hey, I'm Avi. I manage this creator with this following. It's perfect for your brand. They're interested in chatting with you. If you're interested in chatting with them, like, just exploratory, you know, no commitments, anything like that. Let's get on the phone or let's get in the room and then leverage that then to follow up. I think that's usually effective because I don't think a lot of brands get the opportunity to actually talk to talent unless they've already made an
2: offer what i often say to talent managers is you have to become a solution to a problem and maybe because i'm in tech and that's the way we think but it's like you need to give before you expect to receive anything right so Mm -hmm. when you interact with brands you have to ask this executive this campaign manager on which kpis are you judged at the end of this quarter what you try to achieve? And let me help you, you know, like, impress your boss.
1: That's absolutely right. Because you have to remember as a talent manager, I think many talent managers and agents and just people in general forget this. Like, it's a human being in that seat. Like, don't think about it as a brand. In some situations, you can, right? Like, if you're negotiating for money, you know, It's the brand's money it's not coming out of this person's pocket right unless that person's responsible for managing the budget and you know if they go over budget they're in trouble right like you have to consider the dynamic between the institution who may be writing the check and the human who is responsible for delivering on something that involves your clients and Mm. if you don't treat the person on the other side of the phone on the other side of the video on the other side of the table with like a human level of respect and consideration, that's not a good way to build long-term relationships. And ultimately it's not a good way to do business.
2: And that's not gonna lead to success. Earlier you mentioned like good is subjective when it comes to content, And I guess there's a reason why we don't have like awards or prize for the best influencer marketing campaign or there's no even like any records of campaigns because most of them are not that creative, right? What's your view on on the creativity in the space and how talent managers should or can be involved in helping their creators produce something that would be memorable? I think that the talent manager has to be the translator
1: between the brand and the creator. And I don't know that that happens that often, especially with managers who are sort of new or don't have that much experience, right? And like I was guilty of this myself like as a young agent, I just like didn't have the empathy and understanding of the other side and so like my point of view was purely the creator's point of view. I was the voice of the creator. And like that's okay in many ways, but like I said, like you're not going to produce long-term relationships and long-term success doing that and like the most experienced, most successful talent managers are the ones who understand what the brand is trying to accomplish, whether it's like metrics-based or creative. And they're able to translate it to the creator and and navigate between the two so that ultimately both parties come out happy. Both parties have to come out happy. And it's not a zero-sum game because there is more money. These companies will have more money. And your creator wants to have a long career. And you want to have a long career as a manager. You're not gonna have a long career as a manager if your creators like flame out
0: and die. Exactly. And kind of curious off of that too, Avi, is um the knowledge, right? When we kind of talk about the experience from good versus bad. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, because we've seen managers that are like really compassionate, no, business background, but they're really good at taking care of their talent and that's kind of how they get going. So what knowledge do you think is required for a manager to become more well-versed, right? Comparing, let's say, advertising knowledge versus what books you think from soft skills versus like, do they need to take a marketing course or like, you know, we're talking about KPIs and funnels and what does that relationship look like for them?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that it always helps to understand, you know, your Business partner, or the, uh, the person on the other side of the table is trying to accomplish. So, like, to the extent that you can understand marketing, understand how agencies work, you should. You don't necessarily have to take a course. I mean, really, what you have to do is sit down with 5, 10, 20 brand marketers, influencer marketers, you know, the people that you're doing the deals with and people on their teams and ask a lot of questions, right? Like, When I was at WME, I had to figure out how do we do deals with video game companies. Well, I didn't have a clue how video game companies did business. I didn't know what their business models were. I just knew that like Kim Kardashian's game made a lot of money, so we want to do more of that. I basically did a tour of Silicon Valley, sat down with people at a bunch of mobile games and big game companies, and I asked them, how does your business work? And they walked me through the economics. They walked me through... How they do user acquisition, what KPIs matter, how they make money. And like at the end of that, I sort of came away with an idea of like, okay, probably having, you know, celebrities come up with IP doesn't really make sense. Like even if like we had Christopher Nolan, I mean, maybe Christopher Nolan, cause he's so big, right? But like your average director, them coming up with something cool probably won't make a difference. What will make a difference is like, having a big celebrity as like the face and doing the marketing because user acquisition is where the biggest costs are. If you can reduce the cost of user acquisition, then the profit margin is bigger. They're able to spend money and share revenue with the, with the talent, blah, blah, blah. And like, I would not have figured that out. I would have kept pitching whatever director on our roster who liked video games if I hadn't had those conversations. And so you're going to waste a lot of time if you don't understand... The business, the model, the operations, and the underlying intricacies of what goes on on the other side. So sit down with those people, buy them a drink or buy them a meal and like ask them all the questions you can. Dig in, make them feel like the things that they think are boring are the most interesting things in the world to you and like get them to spill the beans on how it works. And then use that to figure out how you're pitching your talent.
0: Yeah. Okay. So kind of like leverage your talent to get in the room. Show them, you know, build that initial relationship, then follow up afterwards more of a non-sales, more organic type of conversation.
1: That's right. And every single company, even the inbound ones, every single brand that reaches out to you about a talent, like, use that as an opportunity to build a relationship. Because you don't know where that person, could remember they're humans, that person is going to go next. Hmm. And... That person could end up moving from some whatever small D to C brand that you don't recognize and you don't really, your client doesn't want to work with or working on an influencer marketing campaign for like some huge brand just by jumping to another agency. And like, if you poo pooed them, if you ghosted them, if you were rude to them and then your client wants to work with Nike or whoever their big agency on the next job is working with and you reach out, you think they're going to respond to you? You think they're going to care? There's 50 million creators out there. There's lots of alternatives to you and your client, right? So you want every person that reaches out to you, every person you talk to, you wanna basically
2: think about as an opportunity to build a relationship for your long-term business. Leads me to my next question about the way some talent managers are behaving. And I wanna have your take on transparency. In the world of talent management, I think there's a lack of transparency, but it's on purpose. It's not an accident, it's not a bug, it's a feature. What do you recommend for talent managers, especially in the creator space, around transparency with their clients, but also with their creators? Transparency relative to what? The rates uh, to the commission, to the fact that they have an exclusive or non-exclusive relationship with a talent. Oh, yeah. Look, like
1: someone who says that they manage or represent a talent and they don't, like that's not about transparency. That's about dishonesty. And I don't mind when someone's like, I am exclusive with these people and I have relationships with these people and I can bring them deals. I don't represent them, but I can bring them deals if you want me to. Like, fine, that's fair. There's lots of creators I know where if like someone hit me up and like, hey, I want to work with that creator, I've got this much money. I'd be like, cool, hey creator, I got something for you. If I bring this, if you do this deal, can I get 10% of that? Like, yeah, I would do that. And I think that's fair. But to say that like, this is your roster that you manage But like 80% of the people that like, you know, have an actual exclusive manager and like just happen to have met at a party. Like that's not honest. And I think ultimately it builds a reputation as being shady, as being like not real, right? Like in Hollywood, like they say, like, is this person real or not? Like if someone does that, I immediately write them off as not real. I might still do something with them down the line simply because like, I don't know who has access to this creator and this person says they do, but like, I'm going to be on guard and I'm going to take everything they say with a grain of salt. And like, to be honest, I can't think of a time where I've actually closed a deal with someone.
0: Hmm. And I'm curious, right, about that situation. Cause it seems like, it even took me, I think 2020, when I went into the management like role and we kind of slowly shifted more into an advertising agency and the dialogue changed. So I'm curious of how do talent managers position themselves, especially emerging ones, for example, ones with more of a mixed roster to confidently say, hey, these are my set exclusive and then these are just open, right? Because I'm noticing more and more like some brands are completely okay with that, right? So how do they still hold their value? to a brand on that side so that a brand wants to work with them to get these other influencers? I think part of it is, to your
1: point, transparency to say like, this is my exclusive roster and these are talent that I have relationships with who I can bring deals to. If you don't have access to them, I'm happy to help. Part of that transparency is like, this is how I get paid. So like Mm -hmm. if you work with my exclusive clients, I commission the fee. If you work with me to bring a deal to these folks, I would need to build in a some X percentage on top of whatever you pay them so that I get paid because they won't pay me. Being open and transparent like that does build trust. I think that's probably how I'd recommend going about it.
2: And I think Tinashe, just to add to this, if as a talent manager, you built a relationship of delivering on time, then it doesn't matter if it's your exclusive roster or your network roster because brands would work with you because you get the shit done.
1: Yeah, I would even say like, on time, I think is one spec, right? But like, I would even raise it up one level to say like, to deliver against the brand's goals. If the brand's goals are, we want to sell widgets, ask them, okay, based on my client's following or viewership, or the metrics that I've shared, like, what's your expected number of widgets? And can you share the data on how many widgets you sell? Because if we don't hit those metrics... I want to make sure you do. And I would like to try at least to work with the client to see if we can get there. Now, it's kind of on the brands as well to be open and transparent and share that information. And some of them don't want to do that. And like then you can't help them, right? Like If they're not telling you what they want, if they're not giving you information on their goals, if they're not sharing how close you are to hitting the goals, how can you help them hit those goals? And like that's an argument you can make in that discussion. If you have that conversation and you should then you need to turn around to the client and say, look, they think based on your fine that you're going to sell 500 widgets. So we got to make sure we sell 500 widgets. And even if like the one video doesn't do it, we should do a few stories, a few whatever. And like, let's try to see if we can get it there because that leaves the brand feeling
2: good and it leaves them wanting to do it again. I love it. I love it. You have this amazing experience in talent management in Hollywood. And you then move to the creator economy. And do you see a lot of people in the creator economy who try to reinvent the wheel and don't necessarily learn from, you know, like the CAA the WME? Is that something that you can recommend? So I was always in the creator economy. I was in the Hollywood agency, but I was
1: part of the digital media sort of early creator mm-hmm. representation team back in like, you know, 2010 and 2016. I mean, I I definitely had exposure and I worked with some of our traditional clients, but yeah, I just want to clarify that. Anyway, I think that the reality is that I don't think that the Hollywood system works well for the creator economy either, right? Because from like film, TV, the content side of things, like those business models are so different and the way that it works is so unintuitive, right? That like there are things to take away around like creator relationship management But a Hollywood studio and the people at the Hollywood studio generally have very different expectations around how talent's going to act and, you know, the way that it might work when a talent says they're in for a movie and then they drop out, right? Like, that's like a term. Like, oh, so and so this actor dropped out of this movie. Well, if you book a brand deal and your client is like, "Ah, actually, I don't want to do it anymore or I got a better brand deal, like the brand's not going to be like, ah, well, let's find another one. Right. Right. So, like, it's not the same. And even with commercials, right, like traditional agencies have these like commercial and brand partnerships teams, but like they are really focused on like booking actors and talent in commercials. Like, they're not thinking about like KPIs and, you know, what's the brand goal. Like, historically and to this day, the vast majority of their money is made on like big brand marketing spends where like Pepsi wants, you know, some big celebrity in a commercial and that celebrity's fee for that commercial, even if it's like a million dollars is like 5% of the overall spend because they're Mm -hmm. spending another couple million bucks on production and they're putting the vast majority of the budget towards actual media. And so it's a very different model. So I don't necessarily know like that there's a lot to learn from Hollywood, from a business model perspective. I think that there's something to be learned in that a tv agent they recognize that the long-term viability of their talent depends on the success of the projects that their talents in or works on and so like they are simultaneously very selective about which projects they put their talent in and they do everything they can to make sure that the talent is going above and beyond And to try to get that project to be successful. In TV, it's actually like baked into the model. There's a model called TV packaging where like if an agency puts a director and a talent, like a star and, you know, a bunch of writers together and makes it easy for the network to like buy the show and not have to do a bunch of development, like the agency gets a cut of the upside. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it incentivizes the agency to try to put the best piece of the puzzle together because like the upside only matters if it's successful. So I think that creator economy and digital talent managers could learn from that point of view. It's that like, it's not about being transactional. It's about like building long-term relationships and actually not even for a specific talent, like for yourself, right? Like Mm -hmm. Ari Emanuel used to say like, your colleagues come first, your buyers come second, your clients come third in the order of like calling back because- you know, your colleagues are your colleagues. Like, you need to share information. We're a team. We work together. But like, your buyer relationships are going to far outlast your client relationships.
0: I'm curious too, like you talked about, you know, the traditional agency model of them, you know, putting director, actor, writers, etc. together from a digital creator perspective, right? Everyone's talking about everyone build a product, you know, work with the creator. Let's get another prime going. Let's get another feasible going. What's your thoughts on the general population? Because obviously the Logan Pauls and the Mr. Beast are like a very small percentage of, you know, the creator economy. But what are ways you feel that talent managers can grow their monetization models within their talent management business with influencers? Look, there's literally dozens
1: of ways for creators to make money. I think I just did a post recently that had like 32 and I just was like sitting on my couch watching TV and like, oh, you could do this, you could do that. And yeah, there's another probably 25, 30 that I didn't even think of. There's tons of ways for your clients to make money. The thing you need to think about and work through with your talent is like, what makes the most sense for them? How do they prioritize against what they're currently doing? And how do they scale what they're currently doing? If your talent is overwhelmed producing their YouTube channel, but their YouTube channel is making money, it's on you as the talent manager to talk to them and say, hey, look, let's take some of this money, reinvest it, and hire you an editor, hire you a producer, hire you a team so that you can show up to a brainstorm on Monday, show up to a shoot on Wednesday, and then you have Tuesday, Thursday, Friday to work on other stuff because you know the video is getting made. Many creators, especially the artistic ones who want a manager, because a lot of like business and entrepreneurial creators don't necessarily want a manager. They want to handle stuff themselves. But the artistic creators that want a manager, by definition, don't think like that. And so it's like on you as the manager to help them figure that out and make that happen. That's actually something that like Night Media has done very well. It's like work with their talent to like set up their teams and help them scale
0: their team so that they make more and more money. Okay, so more the business development aspect and that kind of makes it easier because the big thing we've noticed with talent managers, right, is this whole percentage ceiling from brand deals where it's only so much you can make. They're trying to figure out, like, do they keep signing more talent, right? But the more talent you sign, now you have to hire a team. But some of them are in that like really gray area of trying to figure out how to make more. So basically help automate your creator's process so that there's room for more conversation. Yeah,
1: help them expand their capacity. Like if your creator is spending all week making a YouTube channel, they don't have bandwidth for a podcast. But if you think a podcast can make them a lot of money and you can go get them a big podcast deal, you've got to help them clear space to do the podcast. Hmm. They're not going to do it themselves. That's on you. You're the manager. That's why you take 20
2: percent instead of ten percent, like an agency who just brings deals. How do you explain to your clients that they are your clients and you're not their boss? One, I think
1: I think most 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 managers <laughs> are trying to see it the other way around. How do I explain <laughs> to my
2: client that they're not my boss? They're my client. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know, like what creators expect their managers to invest. In the team, in like the editor, in all those things, right? And the manager is not making money in it. Like when a manager is bringing an editor or spending time to look for the right editor, they're not making any money on this. They make money when there's a brand deal. They make money when they have a cut on like, I don't know, like any deal. And so it's hard sometimes for talent managers to manage their time and to optimize for their own benefits.
1: I think from a communication perspective, I think talent managers need to get comfortable having hard conversations with empathy. It's a similar ability to like people management, right? Um, you have to be transparent and direct and open, but you also have to remember that you're talking to a person who has feelings and expectations and dreams, and you have to walk that line. But it's important to set that boundary and probably to do it early, right? Like when you're signing them to say like, look, part of my job is to help you figure out where to invest. Like if you want to grow your business, eventually you're not going to be able to do everything yourself. You're going to have to hire a team. I will help you find the right people and figure out who to hire and all of that. But like that investment is on you. And as a top manager, you might need to decide and think about early, like, do you want to represent people who limit themselves by being unwilling to do that? By the way, like you can make a lot of money doing that, right? Like David Dobrik edits all of his own videos and it makes millions of dollars a year and his manager does great. But like, he would make a lot more if he was able to hand those keys over to someone else, right? And he's gigantic too, right? So like if you're managing talent that aren't gigantic but like have a nice business, is that business going to scale? Is it going to grow? Is it worth the effort that you're putting in if they're not willing to figure it out? Like those are the hard conversations or the hard decisions that a talent manager has to think through and make.
2: Amazing. I would love to know like more about like your business. I know you're advising uh, companies. Uh, Can you talk about like this side of your work sure
1: so my consulting company partner with creators basically i work with creator economy companies primarily sometimes brands that want to do influencer marketing but there's tons of influencer marketing agencies out there for that to basically understand you know from a product perspective like who are the creators that they're building for that their product works for you know, what are the segments of creators that they want to target from a product marketing perspective, how to make their product better, how to communicate the value of their product, and then general go-to-market strategy, whether it's at the top of the market, how to approach top creators or their representatives and make deals and structure deals and negotiate deals, or from a long-tail acquisition perspective, like who to partner with on that side or how to build a team to do it, what the strategy should be, you know, how to message the product and the value all manner of those things. And I sort of on either like a hourly advisory basis where you know I have clients who once a week or a couple times a month spend an hour with me and walk me through all the challenges that they're having and get my feedback. And then they go off and implement it on their own and come back to me and we sort of rinse and repeat and work through things. Or a retainer basis where I basically embed myself in a team and work directly with the leaders, managers, and even the day-to-day operating team members to mentor them and help them, you know, work through the challenges that they're facing.
2: Amazing. And do you see yeah. any trend right now in the creator economy? So like what's happening in 2023?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few trends that I see. It's like a lot of companies struggle with reaching out to creators and how to scale that simple solution is a company called influencers club which i've been referring a lot of people to they're great i've got a partnership with them so you know feel free to shoot me an email if you want an introduction you know i've ran a team like at patreon we had a team they still have a team that's doing you know outbound emails to creators like it was a profitable team but like barely and like it's very hard to scale that you know you're paying tech salaries in the u.s and like those are people you want talking to creators, but they're not spending all their time talking to creators. They're spending most of their time researching creators, trying to find their email, putting together email campaigns in like Salesforce. Like That's not work that you want your team doing. That's mm-hmm. work that you want someone who can do it at a much lower cost, someone who already has the leads, someone who has tons of experience and knowledge on how to do it, how to do messaging, et cetera, do that outreach. And that way... You just play that as a scale game until you get the conversions or the number of conversions that you want and have the people on your team spend all their time talking to creators. So I think that that's kind of a trend I'm seeing is that a lot of companies are struggling to figure out how to do creator outreach and how to scale it and how to make it work for them. And like, I mean, the top of funnel is already solved. And so then you can focus on the harder areas, I think, which are like, how do you get creators to respond in your wording and your positioning and your phrasing and your description of the product, how do you actually get creators to onboard once you actually get them on the phone? Like what does that process look like? How do you tighten the funnel? Those are all things that I advise on. And they're all things that I feel like a lot of companies have struggle with. So do you see an increase in the number of talent managers? Oh yeah. It's to be expected as more and more creators enter the creator economy, like in the reality is like there's more and more in a bunch of different verticals and categories. It's no surprise that there's more and more talent managers. You know, T B D on how many more good ones there are. But uh, (laughs) part of that is just lack of experience. It's just to be expected. Like if someone's becoming a talent manager because they've been helping a friend out and now they're through their friends they're meeting other creators and they're just kinda figuring out as they go. They don't have any formal training. Maybe they had a completely different job or career or even are fresh into the workforce, like yeah. Of course, like they're not going to be that great at it, and hopefully every time they get better and they learn, and like the best ones will learn the hard way and pick themselves up and improve, and the ones who aren't great will hopefully churn out.
2: We created on LinkedIn like this group called Done Deal, where talent manager can like join and talk, exchange you know, tips, insights. We are hosting also like um, dinners for emerging talent managers. We have like. This month, like four dinners in LA at Soho House. Tinashe and I are talking about you know like hosting like a summit maybe in the fall, like maybe like a one day event or two day event where talent managers from all over the country could come and would invite you know like amazing like speakers like you just to help those talent managers to get going and also build community. I think it's very really important as. This uh, industry is maturing. I would love to join those groups, come to some of those dinners and
1: certainly have it to, you know, speak at whatever events you got going. I mean, I think there's one kind of talent manager collective that I've heard about, which is like independent talent managers who get together to share Intel, share deal flow. Is it a dam? I don't know. I actually don't know what it's called. I think his name fell from LinkedIn and under- a...
0: That's the same one. Yeah, Ranta. Yeah, Phil Ranta.
1: Yeah, it might be. Uh, I don't know.
0: Digital Artists Management Network or something like that. This one, I think, was Larry
1: Shapiro that clued me into it. But Phil, who you mentioned, Larry Shapiro. These are like very experienced, very senior, you know, creator economy executives and managers, and they're starting to pull in other managers they think are great and it's not like a company where you know they're hiring them or merging businesses like they're all independent they're all running their own businesses they don't want to be part of like a bigger company but they want friends they want intel they want deal flow they want to be able to get the best deal for their clients they want to be able to you know share deal flow so that like even if their clients aren't right for some brand, they can send it to someone else and maybe you know take a little piece of that like this is the kind of thing that we're starting to see and i think it's really smart and i think it's going to be much better for creators as well because especially if like you know you start to have younger or less experienced talent managers who get pulled into these groups with more experienced talent managers then you start to have ideas trading like you start to have like you know people who have certain perspectives and understanding that
2: other people don't in both directions there's a ton of value in that that's cool, and that's funny how LinkedIn is like Twitter for talent managers because I feel like people are so active on on LinkedIn. I love how like I almost feel like we all know each other. Uh, by the way, Avi, you have to follow me on uh, to <laughs> to accept my request on LinkedIn. But uh, I will, this, I will do that. Aside <laughs> of this, no, I'm saying that um, I'll do that right now. Like, <laughs> It's a community and I love it. And I love how people like bring deals. They ask people to put their uh email on like the comments if they want to have access to a deal. Some have a lot of transparency on the talent manager like community on LinkedIn. And so I really hope that in the coming month uh we'll improve the reputation of just this, this position, talent manager. Because like you said, for for a lot of people it's like shady and we are able to meet amazing people with good intentions and so we try to shift the narrative around uh, them
1: yeah i think for many creators management is something that's wildly helpful i like to say that creators exist on a spectrum between art to artists and entrepreneur right like artists true artists are like people who are going to keep making what they make whether or not there's an audience they're doing it for themselves and entrepreneurs are people who are making content purely to make money right so like Gary Vee. If Gary V. stopped making money from content, he'd stop making content tomorrow. No hate on that. Like, that's just a mindset, right? So, like, this mindset spectrum. Like, most creators fall somewhere in the middle, but like, for the creators who skew towards artists, they generally don't want to deal with business strategy. They want to make their stuff. And that is historically what managers have been so valuable for, right? And like, the team of manager and agent, the manager helps, like, with the business strategy and the creative strategy and where those intersect and acts as kind of the translator between the two. And like the agent goes and gets the money in Hollywood. That made a lot of sense because it was like directors and writers and actors and like people who are generally very creative and artistic and who don't really want to make deals and don't really want to think about, like, should I be hiring more people? You know, like, what does my funnel look like? How am I scaling this? Like, those are all things that artists don't give a shit about. They just want to make good stuff. And so I think like part of the challenge is that we now have a bunch of companies who historically have not worked with artists or a bunch of people who have historically not worked with artists creating companies or joining companies or, you know, right? It's the creator economy. So there's just like this inevitable friction between, you know, the people who have historically protected and helped artists grow and be successful and people who are trying to you well, know, mostly I would say authentically trying to also help artists grow and be more successful, but like they're doing it their own way and they're doing it from like a tech mindset or a business mindset. And that doesn't necessarily meld with the artist mindset. And so, and look, like I felt that pain on both sides of the table, you know, nothing more painful than trying to get a creator you like and who you think can benefit from your product. And like you reach out to them and the person responds as the manager and you just know that you're never going to actually get anything done. Because like whatever you're offering doesn't make them money or it's speculative. But that's always been the friction, right? Like it's been the friction ever since like some nobody wanders around the sunset strip hoping that they run across some, you know, producer sitting outside at a cafe and they can hand them their script. Like this is the same friction. It's just at a such a larger scale. And with people who have voices and influence and money. They're like, why won't this person talk to me? Why won't this person
2: try my product? Blah, blah, blah. And like, they're not used to that. So, you know, I always compare the creator economy, especially TikTok, YouTube with the music industry, not necessarily with Hollywood. Why? Because in the music industry, especially in hip hop, you have a lot of artists that just care about the music, but in their head, they feel like they are entrepreneurs. So it's like they drop an album, and then they have like a deal to build their own label. And they're like, I'm the boss, I wanna do everything by myself. But the first thing they do is to hire a CEO to run the business. And so there's this internal conflict between them being artists, but them also pretending being like business people, right? And I feel like a lot of tech companies enter that space in 2015 and, they were pitching their investors that creators are the new founders. Creators are the new CEOs. And they build this narrative and because they had a lack of experience with creators, then along the line, they realized, oh, shi, they're not entrepreneurs. Like some of them are, but most of them, you know, aren't. And now we have to treat creators for what they are. Most of them, artists. And when you look at TikTok, especially if they a lot young and they love the vibe, they are super creative. But in most cases, they don't care about promoting a product. They don't care about the product. So for them, doing a brand deal, they say, I'm securing the bag. I'm grabbing the money. And they make like almost no effort to do the brand deal and to deliver quality content because they do not care and brands do not understand this. So when brands right. try to reach out directly with creators. They think that, oh, my phone case is so cool that the creator would love to talk about it. No, they don't. Except if you, Apple or Nike, they don't care about your brand. And so what do you think about this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely spot on. I mean, I think it also, it's generational. It depends, again, on the creator mindset, right? So like you could put kind of creators who like suddenly become famous in the artistic side right like they were just making content for fun and now they're famous and they're like well you gotta make money i do think that mindset of like i don't care about the brand you know like it used to be that like creators would like intentionally post brand videos on like at a bad time like midnight on like a sunday or something you know i think that's happening less and less because now people are getting into the creator game, even if they're artistic, with the intent of like making money, and they and especially Gen Z largely understands that like this is a job or could be a job. but I think like that's always been a challenge with like creative people and with artists, especially the further you skew towards artists is like they don't care about the commerce piece of it, and I think the best managers are the ones who will actually you know, Jedi mind trick their creators into delivering. I yeah. love
0: it. Yes, <laughs> oh, like wow. a, that. was the perfect reference to wrap it up, too, and everything. That was perfect. For everyone who's listening right now, in terms of getting staying connected with you, uh, what are those channels that you want to say here?
1: My primary channel is LinkedIn, uh, Avi Gandhi, A-V-I-G-A-N-D-H-I. My newsletter is Creator Logic. So I call it a newsletter, but really it's an interview series, a creator interview series. So every week I talk to a creator, And I will literally like break down their audience metrics, break down their revenue breakdown and kind of match up like, okay, like 80% of your audience on TikTok, but you know, 50% of your revenue comes from your audience on LinkedIn. And that's only half a percent. Let's talk about how that happens. Right. Which by the way, does happen a lot. And so I go through the specific kind of breakdown of their business and like, what are all the ways that they're making money and. Then I actually even have a premium tier for paying subscribers where I actually go through and break down like every tool they use, every partner they work with, like why they're with this management company instead of this management company, why they use Riverside instead of Zencast, like, you know, so that folks listening, creators, managers, and creator kind of executives can really understand like how these creators are thinking, how they're making decisions, what their decision frameworks are, and also learn about more and more of these cool products and tools that are coming online and that lots of creators are using. So those are the two primary ways to keep up with me.
0: Okay, perfect. And it's a paid premium one. Is that the one you
1: should on Substack? It's on Beehive. It's creatorlogic.beehive. And Beehive is spelled funny. It's B E E H I I V.com. All of my articles will have like a link to upgrade to like read more content. It's a lot of stuff. These, these are really thick articles, lots of quotes from the creators, lots of mm-hmm. data, lots of specifics around how and why
2: they're doing what they're doing. So hopefully people find it valuable. Amazing. So Ave, thank you so much for you know like this knowledge, all the gems that you just dropped. I hope that you will join us next week or the new week after, for one of our dinners at SoHouse House for our uh, managers. The food is on us.: It's nice. Uh, can't keep one me of, away. What <laughs> <laughs> an amazing episode that will be available on uh, LinkedIn, but also as a podcast on platforms where you listen your podcast. Thank you guys. It was amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Anytime.
1: You may know you're listening to this show along the marketing podcast network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.